This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Amazon Web Services. This week, I chat with Xavier Leferve about your typical serverless architecture. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 70. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I am chatting with Xavier Lefevre, who I'm going to have repronounce his name afterwards. Uh, hey, Xavier, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, yes, um, my name is Xavier Lefevre in French, which is not, not easy to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you are the uh, VP of Engineering at Theodo. Um, so I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what you do at Theodo. Yeah, so um, I'm going to start by Theodo. Theodo is a product consulting and development agency. So we worked with clients of any sizes, with companies of any sizes, to build websites and, uh, and, and complete web applications for them for different kind of use cases. So it can be a big company, it can be a small company, it can be e-commerce, it can be uh, a, a, a big industry. Anything. We, are, uh, we are in uh, France, UK, and USA, uh, London and, uh, and New York to be exact. And, uh, and we're doing several different types of, um, of verticals. So we do mobile, we do uh, infrastructure, and that's something that could be interesting, like Kubernetes a lot, uh, and stuff like that. So that's Theodo. And for me, so I'm a VP Engineering uh, of Theodo in France at Paris, and uh, I have a fun background. So I went to the business school uh, when, I, when I was younger, and I did a business school, but I always wanted to work in tech. And when I got out, I started to work in the tech, in tech, but as a business role, I really discovered what it meant to work in tech and the different roles. And I finally realized that I prefer to be to be a tech myself. So that's why I'm here today. Awesome. Um, so you are a bit infamous now. Um, you have this uh, article that you wrote called uh, The Typical Serverless Architecture, which got a lot of um, praise and also got a lot of criticism from people who don't quite understand um, serverless architecture. So I would love it um, just to kind of go through, um, and we'll start with this. There's other things I want to get to, but let's start with that. Let's start with this typical serverless architecture. Take us back. What, what does that look like? So, so from experience, and I don't have, I have a year of experience in serverless, so I'm still, like, compared to you, I st I'm still young. But from experience, um, I started to, of course, dig into serverless, understand a little bit everything that's, that's included in the technology. And, um, and I wanted to show this, this big picture and this big idea of what a typical architecture is. So what can you find inside? Um, you can find, um, so we go uh, through each, each blocks, okay? You, I can talk about the origin as well, which is which can be interesting. Which one do you prefer first? Well, so I have the I have them listed here. So let's start with the front end. What does the front end look okay. like in a serverless application? So let's do that. So front end itself, well, your front end is going to be a, a SPA, for instance, uh, like a, like React. Uh, it can be a, it can be Next, for instance, with a, with SSR. What what you can find in there are two things that are specific to serverless. The first is AWS Amplify, which is which which does a lot of stuff but among which you can find UI components in there that help you go faster. And you can find uh, SDKs that help you communicate more easily and find uh, pre-made uh, features 
with um, with AWS services like Cognito, for instance. You can you can mm -hmm. you can authorize your your user and and handle your users directly from your front end thanks to AWS Amplify. So that's one piece you can find. The other one is um, is uh, if I go a little bit further, when you host your front end. So you have, right, you, right. You, have, you have two stuff. First, the, the basic one, if, if it's a scale like React, it's, you, you just have to host static files with your JS that's going to be loaded on your, on your brother, and that's going to run. We know how it works. So there you're going to use S3. It's going to be exposed by your CloudFront, and that's it. If you want to go further, which happens a lot lately, even more because it's powerful, if you want to do SSR or SSG or a bit of both, and you can do with Next, for mm -hmm. instance. Here, you can use you, you can take advantage of Lambda at Edge, which are Lambdas directly inside of CloudFront that run close to the users that are super, super, super fast, and uh, and that can take care of generating your pages for yourself, for you in terms for for performance purposes or SEO purposes. So that's one capacity in terms of uh, of front end service. If All right. So now you've got your front end, and you've got it hosted um, either in CloudFront or um, maybe even Amplify Console, which is different than Amplify. Um, you can host uh, SSGs there as well, and things like that. Um, so, what about um, for domains and certificates? How do you how do you manage your domain names and your certificates in a typical serverless architecture? Here, you're going to have two services that are quite famous as well in AWS. You're going to have certificate managers that's going to help you deal with your certificate and HTTPS, and you're going to have root 53 that's going to help you deal with your domains. They plug directly easily with the rest of your service architecture, and you don't have much to do, much else to do. And we're talking right. something okay. interesting as well in the middle. We're talking about uh, a lot about AWS, because uh, indeed, uh, indeed, the services and, and from experience, we found the serverless experience more, uh, let's say, uh, more finite and more complete in AWS, but right. of course you can you can do those kind of stuff on uh, in in other cloud providers. Yeah. All right. So then, um, so now we've got all this stuff set up. This is our front, and now we actually want to be able to process APIs. So how do we build out our uh, how do we build out our business APIs? Okay. So there you have two choices first about the the the, the routes you want to expose through your API. You have API gateway, even even more complicated. You have two API gateways. The V1 and V2, which is which are not named V1 and V2, not easy. And you have AppSync on the other side. Okay, so API Gateway is about making REST APIs. AppSync is about making GraphQL APIs. Mainly, if I have to just recap really fast, of course they have a lot of capacities inside. Uh, one API Gateway has an option to to use API Gateway WebSocket, for instance, to do real time. AppSync has embedded GraphQL subscriptions with pros and cons. Um, so you have those two. If, depending on what you want to do, you know, REST or GraphQL. Okay, that's right. Your gateways. Then behind that, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna export. You're gonna have your to have your your business, uh, your business intelligence. So you can directly connect those gateways to lambdas at first, mainly, uh, to 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 make the, to 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 code your site. So lambdas. What are they? They are functions, just just little functions of code. That you you split that are super super micro that you split, you give them you push them and deploy them to AWS and they they do the rest they handle the, the scalability the uptime of those functions you don't have to take care of that, um, so you connect your gateway to to lambdas, from there um, what we do uh, and it's not something new and it's not something 
specific in services and you could do it differently. We organize our, um, our lambdas in services. Okay, we do follow mm -hmm. the, the idea and the principle of microservices. Behind that, uh, the idea is mainly it, it's it's mainly um, a developer pattern to 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 have a, a well organized architecture and to have an architecture that's going to last long in terms of of um, of complexity of of thinking. Uh, so we we follow domain driven design at max to to have mm -hmm. clear separation of concerns between those microservices. Um, right. And right. So then you have so then you have um, you have all these microservices that are separated. Now, one thing about microservices in general, and certainly with serverless, is it is a distributed system. Right. You're communicating with lots of different moving parts. Uh, so you're not going to connect every piece of business logic or everything that you do. That's not all going to happen synchronously, right? So we want to send a uh, an update to Marketo or to Salesforce or to something like that. Um, we're going to do that asynchronously, right? So now you've got these Lambda functions that get processed from your business APIs. Then how do we connect all these um, other services that you have and do that asynchronously? Okay, so indeed, there are several ways of doing that. Um, so there is this idea of serverless being event-driven by design. Uh, that's, that's something that goes that that um, that gets mentioned a lot, um, and you can see it in in most services. Lambdas react and most services here yeah, react on events. So API gateway connected to Lambda is an event, but you can also connect it to other services like SQS, like EventBridge. We do use EventBridge to for us to split and communicate between our services in a, in a let's say, uncoupled way. Uh, even mm -hmm. is, a, is, an, is an event bus, is a serverless event bus. It's like a, ra a rabbit MQ, but in easier, so which is extremely comfortable and it's scaled by design. Um, mm -hmm. So one microservice let's, uh, is, is going to handle, let's say, uh, is going is to be the, the, the article microservice. Okay, it's gonna it's gonna communicate with the user authentication microservice connected to Cognito, for instance, which is a AWS service meant for uh, for authentication and users, and they're gonna communicate communicate through this event event bus. So the article, for instance, is gonna push the fact that there is a new article, and it's not gonna know to the whole to the, let's say the whole architecture, and it's not gonna know who is gonna consume that, and even bridge. Is then going to make sure that this message is relayed to the services that want to consume this information and react on it. If we, if you want to go further, DynamoDB has um, a service uh, service inside of the service, which is complicated, called um, <laughs> DynamoDB Streams. You can use the fact that you're going to push changes to the data inside of DynamoDB to trigger other events, uncoupled, so event-driven events, to make side, side effects. Like for instance, triggering another lambda. It could it could be something like that. And doing something like so, this data change in my database. I want to send uh, an email, but I can I can decouple and ask for DynamoDB stream to trigger this effect. The advantage is that the first lambda that changed the data synchronously ended earlier, and mm -hmm. to the to the front end showed to the user that the request was accepted. 
Okay. Okay. And so then now you have these backend processes uh, processes that are uh, running these tasks, right? They're asynchronous. So the user's already connected. They can take longer to run if they need to. They can fail. They can retry. You've got all kinds of things like that. What if after one of these processes finishes, you want to push data back to the user somehow? Is that you do that with WebSockets and, and AppSync, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I would do. Um, I, I kind of took a look at um, the, the options you could have if you want to push data, if you want to do real time. So if you want to, like, in a simpler way, push data from the back to the front end. The best options are API Gateway WebSocket or AppSync subscriptions. Um, so API Gateway WebSocket, from what I understood, and I think it didn't change yet, you, you have to ping the API per connection to ask to push a message to the front end. The difference with uh, with AppSync, where you can um, where you can you can send a batch of messages uh, right. in one go. So that's one one difference and one pros of AppSync you you can find. But in both scenarios, that they're they're amazing services, uh, really reliable, and that's how you you push your, your messages to the front end with those two services. Right. So then in a serverless architecture, um, we have no servers, right? Or at least no servers that we know of. Um, so if you want to upload a file, which is a common thing that people would want to do, maybe upload a profile picture or something like that into an application, um, how do you do that in a serverless application? So we use, of course, we use the infamous S3, um, which is a, a file storage system. Um, so one thing you can, you can do once again in this event-driven manner is that you can uh, you are you, gonna you can generate file URLs uh, file upload URLs with S3. So you're gonna ask your backend to generate with a token and are you securized upload URLs that you're gonna send back to your front end. The front end is gonna directly push the, the file to the to S3. And then in this event driven manner, S3 is gonna if you want it is gonna be able to push an event to trigger another side effect. The fact that this file has been uploaded, you want potentially to mark something somewhere in your database. So you're, you're going to do it this way, completely decoupled. Okay. All right. So now users and authentication. You mentioned uh, Cognito. What else do we do in order to authorize users into our system? So Cognito is the, the, the go-to uh, authentication and user management services service uh, in AWS. So that's that's where you're gonna have your user base. That's where you're gonna have your um, your user access, and uh, you're gonna be able to connect it with other services to make those authorizations. So, for instance, in API Gateway for each lambda, you can say that uh, you can you can attach an authorizer which is directly connected to Cognito, and say that this route is not gonna be accessible to this type of person. That's how you you're, you're gonna do it. All right. And so now let's say you have a complex workflow in a serverless application. You mentioned Lambda functions. Uh, each one maybe does a discrete piece of business logic, but let's say you got to connect five or six of them together or more because you're doing uh, you know, some sort of checkout process and you need that workflow to, to, to finish. Um, state machines, how do we build those in, in serverless applications? Yes, so this topic is interesting because it's it's something that gets at, after some point workflows gets gets complicated in most architectures. So you could do it, of course, you could do it yourself with your own lambdas, um, but it's in the end it's going to be complicated and be tricky to understand where the data is going and stuff like that. So AWS has another service for this, which are called step functions. Here you you describe your flow at the configuration. OK, 
10. So you're gonna you're, you're gonna describe your steps. You're gonna describe your step states, and how the state is, is supposed to change step after step. You're gonna say that it can it needs to wait, it needs to come back, it, it needs to be to be handling an error, and you're gonna do that with step functions. The nice thing with it is that AWS takes care of this flow for you, auto scales once again this flow for you, and makes it as well super visible. So you have an, a nice user interface to see, to understand what, what's happening, where are you when you're debugging and when, when you're developing, where are you in your flow, what data went where, uh, and what are the logs out of, out of the box. So that's, that's really super comfortable to, to, to handle complex workflows after some point. Right. All right, two more to go. Security. So security. Um, the, two, the two things I put forward inside of, the, of this article is one is called IAM, which is extremely famous. It's identity and access management. It's where you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna define, configure all your authorizations inside of AWS. So this user has access to this service. He has access to this exact action inside of this service. But it's also where you're gonna you're gonna say that you're you're, you're gonna define the security of the accesses between services. So this lambda can have access to DynamoDB and and stuff like that. Out of the box. You, the, 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 the idea with, with IAM um, and, and a good practice is, is to, um, you're going to help me in finding this term again, is to, uh, is, is to use the fact that no one has access to nothing, and then bit by bit, right. the you open those accesses. Yeah. What's the name of The principle of least privilege, right. Yeah, yeah. right. Block so, everybody by default, and then the principle of least privilege open up just what that individual function or user needs. Exactly. So with IAM, you, you, you do that out of, the, out of the box, which is which is a pretty good security principle. Uh, so that's one service. Uh, another service I put forward is uh, how to, to, to take care of uh, secrets and your API keys, for instance. Mm -hmm. So there are several services. There are two services for that. One is called uh, Systems Manager, and the other one is called Secrets Manager. Um, in my opinion, there are some differences, but you can do both for, for handling your, your secrets and your, and your API keys uh, and not having to version them uh, somewhere else. All right, and then the last one, and this is important, monitoring. How do we monitor a typical serverless application? So this one is extremely important. We are in, in a distributed system, indeed. We are in an asynchronous system. So understanding what's happening, what even did trigger what action is indeed complicated. So out of the box, CloudWatch is the, is a de facto solution. It's connected to, to all AWS services, at least all the, the all the ones we mentioned before. Uh, and that's where you're going to have all your monitoring. Uh, you're going to find all your logs. You're going to be able to customize the logs and the metrics you want to you know you want to push there. You're going to be able to to define not easily. That's still an issue, but you it's powerful. You're going to be able to define your dashboard, your alarms. Um, and you can do you can do a lot of stuff in my opinion with with CloudWatch. It, it's in my opinion it's almost self sufficient. But one one thing you could you you need as well in terms of observability is to understand what's happening in your whole system. And mm -hmm. CloudWatch is not enough for that. CloudWatch is going to be is going to be micro. It's going to it's going to be able to show you some very specific pieces. But if you want to understand, so this user made this this action in trigger this whole flow. And I want to understand why it created this error at the end and come back to the flow. This, for this service, there is one called X-Ray, which is doing tracing end-to-end -end between your services. That's, that's supposed to be the go-to. But the problem is that for the moment, 
and you, you can correct me by thinking for the moment it's, it's the case, uh, X-ray is not supported by all services and even Bridge, which mm -hmm. is at the heart of our microservice architecture, is right. not supported by X-ray, which is a little, little sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you just listed or we just went through 11 different sort of categories um, uh, within a typical serverless architecture. And we probably mentioned 20 services and there's even a few in there we probably you know, didn't mention. So the criticism I think that you got from this article that you wrote, um, and it's probably valid criticism, nothing on you. The article was great and, it, and I think this is exactly what a typical serverless architecture looks like. But the criticism was, wow, this looks really complex, right? You've got a lot of different things. So what do you say about that complexity? And also who does that complexity now fall on, right? Because it sounds like the, you know, the developers in this case are gonna be doing a lot of these things that maybe were you know, sort of the ops jobs in the past. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, that's, that's the key question and the, and the key topic when I, uh, I release this article. And, um, and to the person that kind of criticizes architecture, this, this, uh, this, this article, I think I'm gonna show them the video of, um, what's his name already, the one that's, that sings with the piano with all the services of, uh, of AWS. <laughs> yeah, Forest Brazil, yep. That, that, that is amazing. Yep. If I send them this video, I think they're going to tell me, you see, we were right. And maybe that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a crazy amount of services, but it's just that let's, the, the, the way of thinking, the, the mindset needs to shift. The complexity and the pieces you find in, a, in an architecture at, at the same, let's say, level of, of application, it is the mm -hmm. same. We're not, we're not inventing something it's it's the same we're just reorganizing a little bit the way uh, you, you 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 connect those pieces um so so of course the, the, the critics were around uh but i don't understand why there are so many pieces you do you take a a, a monolith a framework monolith you connect it to a database and it does everything everything you, you mentioned there for you and there is no issue and that's that's true yeah the, the thing is that behind this monolith you, you will have the, the potential scalability problem with it afterwards. You will have it at some point and you will have to have, uh, your, your company is going to grow and you will have to split it in, 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 in services and you will have to be able to make them scale. And you're going you're gonna to, bit by bit, explode this architecture. And here, serverless is asking you to think about that ahead of time, right from the, right, right from the start, but it's also helping you to, to, to do that properly and to not have to think about scalability anymore later, not at all. Um, so, so yes, indeed, as well, it changes a little bit the, the weight on uh, on the developers. The developers have to think from the get go uh, about this organization and how how to, to split it and how to communicate between those different services. But once again, I, it's it's something eventually, and we're we're talking about applications that's gonna that are gonna need a little bit of, of scalability or that are gonna that are gonna have some uh, some up and down. Um, up and down traffic uh, mm -hmm. that will need eventually those kind of stuff, and we're getting it yeah. from from the get go, which is which is super comfortable. And from experience, it's uh, it's positive. Yeah, right. And and you mentioned a good point about you know eventually companies are going to have to split up monoliths. And I know that there are a lot of companies that run on these big monoliths, but if you've ever worked on one. When there's a new piece of functionality that needs to be added, it's always it's always like, what am I going to break if I put in some new service? And um, and I've always told people, you know, ten years ago, say I would say to people, 
when you're building a new application, um, you just want to get it out there, right? Like, don't worry about scalability, right? I mean, if you get a thousand users and your servers are overwhelmed, then great, right? Then then you can then you now have something and maybe you can start re-architecting and getting it where it needs to be. But you don't want to spend all that time building in that scalability um, on a typical server app or server-based application right from the get-go. You want to get the project out there. But that changes dramatically with serverless because you can build these things very easily. You can get them out there very quickly. And if you just think about a few things with the scalability aspect of it, in terms of what you need to do to make sure that you know your functions are split independently and some of these other things, um, you can scale right up and you don't have to rewrite anything. Yeah, I completely agree about that. And and there is a good practice when you when you develop when you just you develop you have your development flow. A good practice is always always to 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 cut down your 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 features in very small pieces. It's always a good practice to be able to have a, a good like mind control on what you're doing and to make sure that you're not gonna you're not gonna generate a bug because it's easier to think through. You know? So this this human thing of splitting things in, in small pieces to make sense out of them is right. goes goes as well inside of the of the fact of building an architecture. So in the in the time uh, like in the time like I don't know five or even five or seven less Serverless started to, to yeah. become popular five years, five years ago, something like that. Yeah, about five. It's been five years or so. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit before that, um, if you wanted to be able to do those microservices, it was a little bit more complicated because of the infrastructure you had to put around it. You it, because of, of all the complexity and all the tools you had to put and you had you had to manage yourself to make to make to make them work. Now, the, the, the super nice part is that AWS took care of this complexity for you. And you can split this complexity in several pieces to make sense out of it from the get-go. And it's just this simple idea right. is extremely powerful, and you can see it in in a lot of other fields. Right. Yeah. And I think that you know some of these individual um, services that are available to us help just just by their sheer, I guess, design or the way that they're they're sort of meant to be used. Um, already have the thought of scalability built in, like DynamoDB, for example. Right. Like thinking through those access patterns, um, like your database is going to scale you know, for, for quite some time. <laughs> like you don't have to worry about it, uh, you know, and you, you build something in MySQL or something like that. And that's going to work great until you maybe have 100,000 records that need to do some sort of cross join or something like that with these complex filters on them. And then all of a sudden that's going to slow down. Yeah, that's true. We didn't. We did, I think I, I forgot about DynamoDB in, in the in the business uh, in the business part break of my uh, of my typical architecture. But yeah, DynamoDB is uh, is the serverless uh, database recommended as well from the from the beginning. Um, and indeed, it's 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 amazing to see as well this shifting paradigm and the fact that you have you you change. It's all it's always around uh, it's mainly around performance and the fact of making sure that the system you're building is performing and long-lasting at the same time. And DynamoDB is a very great example about that because you did SQL, when you did SQL, you didn't, you, you thought about a, a, a clear and easy to think um, relational model, okay? So it was normalized, everything made sense, all, the, all those models had a, had a, had a meaning and a, and a clear entity, and you saw the direct connections between them. But the issue is that it was growing, growing. And uh, at some point, uh, so your SQL queries got bigger and heavier. And there, you had to do some tweaks. And here, you had some, some performance issues and, you, and complex performance issues, usually. At the same, so you had to, to think about reshaping your data or 
or improving your SQL performance uh, request performances. Um, or other things, you have to think about scaling your database. But scaling the SQL database is much more complicated because it's it's a huge blob of data, and you don't exactly know how, when, and how you're going to access those data because it's inside of your SQL queries. So, right. so doing a non-resultant scaling of that is, is, is almost impossible because you're going to get some data here, some data here, some data here in, in this horizontal scale, and it's going to be it's going to be terrible in terms of performance. So, so DynamoDB shifts that, and it, no, so no, think about how you're going to access this data, think about performance, and think about how you're going to store this data from the beginning, from the moment you put this data inside of the of the of the, of the database. And uh, and there you and there it works. After it works, I'm not saying it's easy. Entering inside of the DynamoDB world is is funny. You have to once again, it's a change of mindset. But it's an exciting one as well. Right. I, I really enjoy to, to to think about uh, access patterns and how to 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 store data inside of DynamoDB. But then it works. After that, it works. So there is also always these critics about. But do we need that? Do we need do we need this this change and this this let's say extra complexity from the beginning? But the idea is that it's, of course, you have to learn something new, but it's not, the, the, the slope is not that, that big. And the reward after is amazing. It's, it's, it's just amazing. You don't have to think about the stuff later. And I hope your business is going to be powerful. And I hope your application is going to have a lot of users. And you're not going to need to think about that. Right. Yeah. No, and I, I love DynamoDB. And, I, and the advice I give too is if you're thinking about massive scale, um, DynamoDB, you're not going to get the performance out of a SQL database, no matter how much, you know, with MySQL or Postgres, whatever you do. Um, but with DynamoDB too, if you're using very small, if you have a small set of data, but you need to kind of query it a couple different ways, throw a couple of extra GSIs on there. It's so easy um, to do that. But anyways, so I'm going to put the link for this article in the show notes because I do want people to go and check this out. Uh, but it is very complex and it's and it has to be right as things get, you know, more advanced, they get more complex. Um, so how do people, uh, how can people start building this out? You're working on a boilerplate for this, right? That can just kind of help people maybe. So yeah, exactly. So in our company, we, we do develop and we do greenfield projects a lot. And um, and so we, we have to have something that's strong and that's easy to, to use and that has all the quality tools and, and, and good practice and best patterns from the, from, from the get-go as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, we are building a, a boilerplate for this purpose. And it's like um, how to, 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 to handle well a mono repository of, a, of a serverless microservices, stuff like that. A lot of little stuff that have a lot of value and you're really happy they're there because it takes some time to, to set them up. And so we're doing that, and we're thinking about about sharing it with the community. So it's gonna go, it's gonna come super super well along with the, with this article. And then we have some specific services that we want to prepackage as examples, and for us that can that are useful. And so we think it can be useful to others. Like like for instance, this file upload, uploading files uh, like that. It's it's not that complicated, but no, there is some specificities here regarding security. Uh, not, not being able to push a file anywhere on S3, or being able to just put an index that HTML at the beginning to just to just uh, as a, as a hacker to just uh, make some fun. That's some st- stuff that could right. happen if you don't know about some good security practices. So we want to to push some blocks of this architecture as examples inside of inside of along this uh, boilerplate. The WebSocket one, for instance, as well, it's something we we are thinking about. 
Awesome. Well, that will be that will be a huge help um, for the community and people building it. So I am looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to that being available. Hi, everyone. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Amazon Web Services, and tell you about the recently launched AWS Serverless for Startups portal. If you are an aspiring entrepreneur, a technical founder, or anything in between, you have to check out this newly launched Serverless Hub. You can get access to AWS credits, plus a ton of technical resources so that you can build, iterate, and scale your startup idea faster and with less overhead. In my personal opinion, if you're building a startup today and you're not seriously looking at a serverless-first architecture, you could be putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage. Learn how to empower your startup with AWS serverless architecture at serverlesschats.com slash AWS startups. Um, all right, so I want to move on to costs. Um, because that's another thing. You look at this typical serverless architecture. You've got a lot of individual Lambda functions running. You've got a cloud for you know cloud front out front that obviously the data, um, the the data, the fees from the data get kind of expensive there. You got DynamoDB, which can get expensive if you have a lot of transactions and a lot of things happening there. Um, so you do have serverless costs, uh, or your serverless still costs you money, but. The the question is, you know, or I guess the question that gets asked quite a bit, and most of it is anecdotal, uh, is this idea of is serverless cheaper? Um, and and you have a serverless calculator that you put together, and I want to get to that, but let's talk about what we have to think about. What, where do, what are the costs involved when we're building a cloud application? Because it's not just about the hosting cost. No, it's not. It's not. That's when you intuitively, when you don't know about serverless, that's what you're going to think. You're going to you're going to think about your EC2 uh, bill, and then you're going to compare it to the, the, the corresponding bill in AWS with all the services you have in a serverless in a serverless project. But it would then be fair to compare them in this way. Uh, we 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 didn't talk about cost along the at the beginning of this whole podcast because. We knew it would we would arrive there, but that's also one of the big advantage of using of using um, of using the technology. So you need. We talked about all the services. We talked about services that are auto scalable. We, we talked about services that already have pre pre made, let's say, pre packaged features like Cognito. Um, and if we, if you take a little a step back, that's why you 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 think and you can use the idea of TCO total cost of ownership. Which um, which encompasses infrastructure costs, development costs, and maintenance costs, and that's where you can really see the value uh, of serverless. Um, so we talked about the infrastructure cost. Indeed, that's your bill. You can compare. You you, can, you that's the EC2 bill you have. That's the cost of your infrastructure. And then uh, maintenance costs. So it's going to be the time uh, you spend to patch your systems or to make sure that in the middle of the night, uh, something, some, you to fix something in the middle of the night. Um, uh, and the last one, the development cost, is the, the, the time you're going to spend to indeed uh, plug, uh, plug uh, an open source uh, authentication brick inside of the architecture and to make sure that it's working well. Uh, for with the, the rest of an architecture that was not out of the out of the box made to go to go with it, and uh, the idea with serverless and all the services we went through together is that they they all work on those three aspects of TCO. So when you look at the serverless bill at the end and all the services, you have to, to, to look through and think that they help you on the TCO itself. But then my question was. 
And it's the same for the first article about the typical architecture. When I entered this world, I, it was complicated. It's a new world. It's still a new world, even though it's five years. And to, to understand what's in a serverless architecture, and then is it really cheaper? How do I make sure that it's, how do I understand that it's really cheaper? There are some examples. There are some calculators. There are some articles talking about TCO, some great ones. There are some studies uh, or use cases. But but still, I was I, I, I was missing something. So I wanted, I wanted to work on that. That's why I, uh, right. I worked on the calculator. Right. So I want to get to the calculator in a second, but I do want to clarify a couple of things too, because I think what... Um, you see typically when companies try to build out their own component, right? So they want to build their own you know, security or authentication component. Um, part of the problem with building any system that is your own, something that is not unique to your company, and as we always say, undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? It doesn't add business value to you for you to own your own authentication system. Um, the problem with building something like that on your own is not only the development time that it takes. If I can turn on Cognito or even Auth0 or something like that, and I can immediately have secure logins and, and password reset flows and um, you know multi-factor authentication, all that stuff's built in, into me or in for me, um, and it might take me, I don't know, maybe a half a day to read the documentation and set that up. Maybe it takes a day, but it might take me weeks and weeks and weeks of development time to build that myself. Sure. Then here's the problem. Let's say the person who built that, the lead architect, that person leaves and he or she goes to some other company and now your other devs have to be the ones to maintain a system that they don't necessarily understand fully, which means what always happens when they do that? Someone wants to rewrite it, make changes or whatever, and then you've got more development time, more maintenance costs, things like that. Whereas if you hire somebody who knows how to use Cognito or knows how to use Auth0, then that's just done for you. Yeah, you have to learn how it integrates into your system, but most of that is becoming very standard. So that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't necessarily factor in as well, is that it, that ongoing maintenance cost, it's also about having the people available that know that to maintain it. Because you can spend a lot of time having somebody relearn something, trying to figure out what some developer did you know, three years ago and is now unreachable. Yeah, I couldn't say it better. <laughs> Um, all right, so we talked about uh, TCO, which is great. So let's get into this. Um, let's get into this cost calculator, into the serverless cost calculator. So you built this calculator. Um, it's in a. Uh, it's in Google Sheets right now, right? So you yeah. can just make a copy of it, right? And you can do some of that stuff. Um, I know you said maybe you'll do it as a web app or something like that, but I think Google Sheets actually is really nice because you can go in; it's an easy interface. Um, so tell us about this. Tell us about this serverless calculator. What's different? Um, between like the AWS calculator that uh, you know that AWS has on their website. So the AWS calculator itself is is extremely powerful. That you have all the services, it's the two hundred and fifty services. I don't know how, how many uh, you, you can find in the, in the video we were mentioning. Um, so it's 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 crazy. You don't know what to look at. And the, the thing I wanted is is. My focus uh, is is to evangelize a little bit about the the, the, the added value of serverless for people to really to really help people. That's what I think simply. And I wanted to to, to create something that could help people uh, that don't have a crazy a crazy expertise in serverless to to be able to assess the potential cost of a serverless project for their use case. So I needed to think about and and the AWS cost calculator is is like that. It's it's complicated. It's it's deep. It's micro. So I wanted to build something like that. So I thought, what can I do for that? Well, what's going to make the difference? There's a lot of parameters. There's a lot of variables. But 
which one do I set? Which one do I fix? And then I don't think about them anymore. And that's why, that's why as well, I thought about writing. It was just the first step. I thought about writing this, what is a serverless, typical serverless architecture? Because I wanted to set up a, a fixed picture and starting to set some variables for the, for the potential calculator coming, coming behind. Uh, and which services, how do they communicate with each other, with each other, what do we use in them, and stuff like that. So build this, this image of what a, a typical architecture, a service architecture is, and then I went further and I made the calculator. So the calculator, yeah, it has a tab, in, it's a spreadsheet, it's easier indeed to play around with it, it's easier indeed to, 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 to. the idea as well with the spreadsheet is to be transparent, so it's easier to be transparent mm -hmm. with the spreadsheet. Everybody can see everything, the, 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 the calculation and the hypothesis we made. So when, what you can, you're going to find there, you're going to land on it and you're going to see the, the main dashboard. That's why you're going to see the, the price output. Uh, you, you, you have some basic uh, variables on the left. You still need some because you need to add up to your use case, of course, and then the price output on the right. And below, you, you're going to have the detail for services. And, each, and then you have several tabs that correspond to each of the AWS services we were mentioning before. And... So the, the detailed calculation based on AWS costs, calculus costs, and the, the, the variables that are necessary for each of them. So we, we use the color code to show that there is some that really are set because there is, it doesn't have a big impact on the cost or because it's, it, there is no reason to really tweak it. It's, it's okay like that. Uh, your, your, mm -hmm. your, your architecture is going to be fine like that. And then there are some with a different color code, some that, you, that are going to be pulled back at the, at the central dashboard to be able to play with them and see the impact it has uh, on the cost. So you can use the calculator in two ways. You can, you, you don't know, you, you just want to, you just want to play around. You have a broad, a broad idea of a website, uh, of a, a type of website, an e-commerce, a blog, uh, um, a, a tool, a work tool, and with a certain amount of traffic. So just that. So you have some drop downs. You can change them and directly see, play around, and directly see the impact it has on the on the on the cost on the right per month. And if you want to go further from there, you have the, the capacity of changing some user variables. I call them like that because I think that um, like you you don't know about serverless architecture, so you're not going to know how how many lambdas you're going to trigger. You're not going to know how long right. they're going to they're going to be triggered. So. I, I needed to to, to pre to pre sync and, uh, and and prepare those those variables with a, with an extra layer. So here this, you're going to be able to play with user variables like the number of sessions per day of those users, the percentage of users that are authenticated. So this is going to have an impact on Cognito, for instance. The average size of the uploaded files of those users, stuff like that, which are more uh, product oriented. So I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a CTO uh, and it's been a long time. I didn't I didn't code. It happens. Um, and I want to be able to, to assess the value of this technology for my company. I hope that's my idea, that's my objective, to help him being able to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, it is, it's amazing. And I, I love the calculator uh, because it basically says, all right, here's that typical serverless architecture. Here are the individual components that are running. And then not only that, but like trying to estimate, well, how many, you know, DynamoDB requests are you going to make? Or how many Lambda functions? Or, uh, you know, what does it cost for the events? All these kind of things. If, if you just look at 30 services or whatever it is, it just gets really, really hard to estimate that. And so, like you said, if you're a CTO or you're just somebody who's evaluating serverless, 
going in, not only can you use it to actually give you some good numbers, but it's a really good learning tool to go dig in and say, oh, okay, all right, so these would be the components that would be running. Um, if I change this, I see how that affects um, you know, the cost. I love the fact that you know you can bump up the number of Lambda invocations like dramatically and like the cost changes <laughs> by like three dollars. Um, but but anyways, you know, I mean, it's and you can see the impact on the whole on the rest of the system. That's something I like as well. Right. Because those on that right. are going to use even bridge, they're going to use DynamoDB, they're going to use a lot of other services and just dump your number of Lambda and book for services that are, yep. that are having extra costs. But which is still yes, no, cheap. Absolutely. We're going to talk about that after. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it, it is. It's really great. And, and those different sort of predefined scenarios are also really helpful as well. Um, because even if it doesn't you know, meet your use case exactly, um, it's going to be pretty close. Um, so let's do this because you, you, you give a couple of examples um, in an article. You wrote a blog post about the calculator itself, um, which was a very helpful blog post as well. Um, so let's go through some of these scenarios in terms of low, medium, and high traffic, because this is one of those things where you did a comparison for just, you know, just the cost, not including, not including engineering time, not including um, infrastructure, sorry, not including uh, uh, maintenance costs. This was just straight compute or infrastructure costs. So let's start with the low traffic one. So this was about 50 sessions a day. Um, if it was an e-commerce site, what would this cost you in a typical serverless application say so, so i wanted to start low indeed so i wanted to com to, to to compare easy accessible values so indeed the, the cost of the ec2 uh, of the, the the simplest ec2 you can find there's the, the the architecture we mentioned earlier so if you do 50 sessions per day of e-commerce app you're going to pay one 1.6 dollar per month so including the free tier but the free tier that's always free so so it's going to be like that for everybody. Um, and if you do a blog, for instance, so a little bit different in, some, in terms of user variables, it's going to be a little bit more read, of course. Uh, it's going to be $0.5. Okay, so now I thought, in front of that, what, if you don't do service, what are you going to do? It's something super simple, but you need to have some compute. You don't have the choice. So AWS for that has EC2, an EC2 VM, the simplest one, the T3A.nano. And how much is the mm -hmm. T3A.nano? It's 3.43. So that just this, just this little picture is amazing in my opinion. You can compare the, it's two times more expensive, expensive than the e-commerce example we mentioned. And it's the, it comes, it comes naked. You don't have anything in this, in this yeah. game. You have to put your framework. You have, you can put your database in there if you want, but I don't think it's such a good idea. So let's nope. say that you're going to use a RDS. To, to have a SQL database a little bit managed. So you need to add the cost of RDS, which I didn't even include there. So, right. so it's, right. it's- Yeah, no, so, I, so I, that's what I was gonna say is that it, what I thought was sort of funny about like this, this example for $3.43, um, that is just running a uh, that, that, uh, that T3A Nano for 720 hours a month or whatever it is, but you have no redundancy. So likely what you need to do is you need to add a load balancer, which I think costs like $25 a month and have at least two of these things running so that they're there. You also said, again, RDS, like you would wanna put RDS in there somewhere. Even if you choose the cheapest RDS, just one server, I still think that costs you maybe $15, $16 a month, something mm -hmm. like that. So already you're exploding those costs. Now again, that's pennies, right? We're not talking about a lot of money there. But what about if we move on to something a little bit bigger, something like a medium traffic? Where, so, where would we, you know, so 2,000 sessions per day. 
So 2,000 sessions per day, we, uh, same, same type of applications, e-commerce app, serverless one, $70 per month, okay? And the blog is going to be $20. Okay. Of course, e-commerce is a little bit more intensive. Then I continued the, the same kind of comparison at this, at, at this layer. It was if, if I'm capable of showing that EC2 is more expensive than serverless, I don't have to go further and to, to dig into the TCO topic because it, you don't even have to. Uh, and there, I, I, I took, I asked uh, from experience, and I asked to colleagues, and um, I, I took m 6 large. It's one VM, which is corresponding to mm -hmm. this size, uh, let's say, of application and traffic. This um, this VM is sixty-two dollars per month. So I said the e-commerce serverless app was seventy dollars per month. The blog was twenty. So we're reaching the VM is slightly lower, lower in cost. Uh, compared to the serverless uh, e-commerce uh, app. But it's super close. And once again, I, I said it was enough because once again, the VM is, is, comes with nothing. You still no, have to put your events, as you said, you still have to put your RDS and stuff like that. So yeah. no questions asked, honestly. All right, so let's move up to the big one. This is the high traffic, 40,000 sessions a day to maybe up to a million sessions a day. Yeah, so there I reached I reached a certain limit. Uh, high traffic and very high traffic, that's how I, I call it. And there, indeed, it's more complicated to compare. Those systems are much more complex. There is much more blocks in uh, And um, if I had to compare serverless projects, we, like the one we showed with the same in Kubernetes, with all the, the, the crazy amount of pieces you can find there, it's, it's a good work. So that's something maybe I'm going to do one day, but here I didn't have, I didn't have this information yet. So, here, I, I took the cost, of course, of the serverless, um, serverless e-commerce cost based on, uh, on the calculator. It still works. And it's 1.7K. It's $1,700 per month uh, for high traffic. Okay? And a mm -hmm. blog is going to be $475. Okay? Uh, so we're talking about 40,000 sessions per day, which is starting to be, to be nice per day. Starting to be a, cool, a good thing. And then if we go super far, and we think about a million sessions per day, a million sessions per day, when you're there, you're pretty, you're pretty successful normally. Normally, your website <laughs> is pretty successful. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if I put a, a website that's that's close to this. An example of a, no, I didn't. You have a, an example of a good website that has a million sessions per day? I don't know. It could be nice to be able to. Yeah. yeah, it would be it would be good to compare that. But so the the for the back to the forty thousand sessions per day, um, one point seven or one thousand seven hundred USD per month for that. Yeah. Um, and then you had for a very high though, if you did a million sessions yeah. per day, um, you had forty nine thousand dollars. Okay, yeah. is that so, right? Yeah, so it's forty nine thousand dollars. So you are giving AWS. 50k dollars per month, so it's starting to be to be a lot. It's a lot, but at the same time, your company right. in front of that is big. You have a million sessions per day, so you 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 do have something that brings generates when you are e-commerce. So you, you know you sell products, or you're a blog, so you have advertisement. So you need you need to reassess how those 50k enters inside of your business model, of course. And I don't think for the size of just out of, like that without even entering in the TCOID. It's, it, it can be acceptable. But then, to be able to really... So I did not have to compare this with uh, EC2. There is no way of comparing this with EC2. So I didn't, put, right. I didn't put a comparison in front. Here, I needed to take a step back to think about 
uh, this idea of TCO, total cost of ownership. So I, I, I dug inside of, uh, of, of studies, of articles. I, I, I read a lot about that. And uh, a lot of those articles say that your, the, 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 the amount of energy you put on, on non-specialized uh, ops tasks is going to lower. It's going to lower by. It, it depends on the. It depends on the articles. It, it, it will really have an impact. It will be able to have less amount of time spent on that. There are some. I have a lot of examples of companies that do serverless that don't have ops. They don't have ops at all. They, they don't. Right. But it doesn't mean that they don't need ops. It does. It just means that uh, they, they they infuse it uh, in, inside of the rest of the of, of the tech people. But let's say for the sake of the exercise that. Um, you 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 you're not serverless. You have two ops, okay? Uh, you have two ops inside of your team, and you pass serverless. So you you, you reduce by, by by two. Let's say you reduce by two this this size of a uh, of team, uh, because half of the of those tasks are not necessary anymore. If you take for right. just the example, it's an example in Paris. If you take the the salary. For the company, of course, it's always it costs more for a company than what you see at the end on your on your payroll uh, of, of an engineer. It's 140k per year. Okay, so with serverless, you you're gonna go down to one ops. So it means that you're gonna save 12k per month. Okay, so this this team of two ops, it was for high traffic websites for the one that uh, that had uh, what was 40k sessions per day. For, for we, were, yeah. we, were, we were talking about a bill, AWS bill of a thousand seven hundred per month. There. So it means that you saved you you, you save twelve k dollar per month and you pay one point seven k dollar per month to AWS. So there is a save of ten k in the middle of that somehow. Right. So if you think about TCO, of course it's it's always more complex than that. But the idea is here. If you think about TCO. Even if you, if you, when you go further and you go to, to, to extreme traffic, it can have value. Once again, of course, we're not talking about Facebook or Twitter. We, that's, that's an extreme. And if you reach this, right. it's amazing. You don't, you don't even have to read this article if you, if you reach this anyhow. That's for sure. And there, of course, for, for a lot of reasons, you're, you're going to have your own team to do that. And it's going to be huge. It's going to be amazing. But for the mortal people, for us, for the, the ones that are interested in this article, it's 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 showing that indeed serverless can be cheaper and can be amazing for for their for, for their use case. That's that's what I wanted to share. Yeah. No. And I, I think I, I think you're right. And then there was uh, you referenced this uh, paper on TCO by Deloitte. I will put the uh, I'll put the uh, link in the show notes for this. But I think that that's a really interesting point, right? Just the idea of reducing the the number of things you have to do that are just pure maintenance. Again, it adds no value to your company to have somebody installing patches on a server somewhere or worrying or being on call. Now, again, you get to Facebook level or maybe you get to a point where you're at that million, um, you know, million sessions per day. Maybe it ends up being cheaper just to have ops people that are constantly watching containers and a Kubernetes cluster and things like that. But until you get to that point, um, you can save yourself a lot of money uh, by by reducing reducing the number of people that you need working on the ops side of things. And I want to say this because this is something I know that a lot of people um, maybe uh, worry about is to say, well, what happens to the ops jobs? Like you know, so we just said we get rid of one of the ops people, um, and that may be true 
Um, maybe it's better to say we just we just won't hire more ops people. Um, but what would you do with um, uh, what would you do as an ops person in an architecture like this, right? Because there's still more things that can be done. There is still a lot of things that can be done. Of course, you have the change of, uh, of observability that gets that gets bigger, that gets greater. You have a lot of different moving pieces, and you need to understand what's happening there. So there is some more work to put inside of observability, which is a pretty good field to, to dig into. And for me, it's also an ops, it's a DevOps task. Uh, and then you, you have a lot of security concerns, and there's always going to be some security concerns. And you have, as well, you can, you can spend some more time to think and talk and think and improve your security, which is good for everybody, because there is always leaks, Every every week we have a, we have we have the news of a new leak, and so so you you spend some more time on those kind of tasks, um, right? And CI/CD, right? Just getting indeed, you know getting course. things into production. I didn't even yeah indeed. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for that. I forgot about this one, which is a big one. Uh, and yes, yeah, CI/CD CI/CD is, uh, is is still is still super important, and you want you, your developers to be uh, to, to be as fast as possible, and to and to have as less issues as possible during the, the development and and testing and validation phase. Serverless gives you the opportunity, like really, really easily, to to to, to spot um, feature environments. You you just with your with your with your CD, you you are capable of with with a simple configuration to create feature environments on the go like that for 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 testing the development for a new development in an isolated manner. And this it's amazing, honestly. Before serverless. I worked on projects where we had that, but it was it was a hassle. It was big projects. We we had to, to reach a certain level to be to be able to do that, or to want to spend energy in building that. Here with serverless, directly you're capable of doing that, and that's 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 amazing. So indeed, you, yeah. your ops team is going to be able to do this fancy stuff that you dreamed of even even more easily. All right. So if you're if you're an ops person, don't worry. Just evolve, and you can work on things that are much more exciting than just uh, patching servers and uh, and worrying about your VPC configurations. Um, all right. So um, uh, finally, so next steps on the calculator, right? So this is a it, you you'd mentioned that it's sort of just a start that you've got some other things you want to do with it. Um. So where where is this going to go? So. I'm, I'm going to continue using it. I'm, going to, uh, I'm pushing it internally, but I want to. I want to go further. So, I want to be able to to to, to challenge it based on, on some real use cases. So, I have had the input, and I'm working with some fellow community members, which is, which is super nice, to be able to to do that. I'm going to challenge the data we have to to make our hypothesis better, uh, and then, uh, which is one one first step. Then we can add some other services like AppSync, for instance, because AppSync is pretty popular, it's getting more popular, and I didn't put it inside of the calculator. So give a little bit more options, you know, to the, to, to the table. Uh, I need to find the right balance, because the idea of an opinion is to have an opinion. It's, it's, it has a, the opinion right. has value in itself. So if it's too far, too, there is too much option, I'm going to come back to the AWS calculator and that's it. So I need to find the right balance, but some options is good. And then, uh, depending on that, next step could be potentially to build, a, to build an open source uh, website for it. Awesome. I think it could be, could be, could be fancy. <laughs> so listen, Xavier, thank you um, for your opinions because your opinions uh, on this have been great. Um, 
excellent tool. The article was great. I think there's a lot of learning um, just to kind of put it all out there and having your experience and sharing that with people is amazing. Um, so I know I appreciate it. I'm sure the community appreciates it. Um, and again, thank you for being on the show and sharing all this knowledge here. Uh, if listeners want to find out more about you, how do they do that? So um, Twitter, of course, first. My, uh, my you're, you're gonna give it after, I guess. It's. Uh, at, I will put it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna give it. In the, it's but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that loud. It's at Xavi. Uh, it's too complicated. Underscore Lefebvre. Right. X A V I underscore L E F E V R E. Okay. <laughs> right. So on Twitter. You spelled your name right. Awesome. <laughs> On, on Twitter, on uh, on LinkedIn, of course, on Medium, and I'm, I'm planning. I'm planning on, on releasing articles, but even even more than that, I'm planning on updating my articles. I want those articles to to stay up to date. I want this typical architecture nice. to, to 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 still be actual in six months. So I'm gonna I'm gonna work on and I have some ideas already. I'm gonna work some on on the on update of my articles. So you can follow it along on, on Medium. Awesome. Well, I will um, put the the links that we mentioned in the show notes, as well as all of your contact information um, and the serverless cost calculator. Uh, thanks again, Xavier. It was awesome. Thank you very much for inviting me. That's me that thanks you. <laughs> and that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Xavier Lefebvre for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, Amazon Web Services. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 70. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.